Our uh, next guest is the creator of the animated cartoon entitled The Simpsons. Ladies and gentlemen, please say hello to Matt Groening. To be 14 in 1969 was the best time to be in high school because all this counterculture was going on. Great music, great anti-war protests. Hey guys, I just wanted to hop in here at the beginning. This is an episode that's a little bit more rigid. I'm going to hit the high points. I'm going to cover all of the episodes. But this, I just want to be like a shorter sort of a reference for you guys if you wanted to go through and you wanted to see all the references to the doors. And maybe I've missed some. If I did miss some, please send me an email to openingthedoorspod at gmail.com. Tell me what I missed. I thought there might have been one in the in the Simpsons movie a reference to the end, possibly. I didn't find it. That being said... This is the episode here. Uh, thanks again to Forrest Burgess for joining me of Astonishing Legends. They have such a successful paranormal podcast over there. They do some great stuff. Their Patreon junk drawer episodes are great. I was on there. Actually, I was on there doing an episode about the paranormal and alien encounters with, you know, talking about Jimi Hendrix, the Jim Morrison, and some others. Elvis, I think I meant talked about Elvis a little bit. But that was a pretty fun experience if you want to go check that out. You do have to pay to do that. But uh, it's always fun having Forrest on. He's actually helping possibly on a, he's actually already, I've already got some stuff done. Hopefully I can get it out by Halloween, but it's for, it's a special Halloween episode. And, uh, let's just say he did some voiceover work that turned out really phenomenal. I think without further ado, here is this episode. So I hope you guys enjoy it. So welcome to another episode of Opening the Doors. I'm your host, Bradley Netherton. With me again, you all, you, you've heard him from the Charles Ford episode. He is the one and only Forrest Burgess from mm. Astonishing Legends. Forrest, thank you for being back. It's almost like you haven't even left. I know. Well, you know what? Uh, it's a conversation that's a little bit tied into what we're talking last time. So it just seems like to me, we're just picking up the convo where we left it. And this time it's something, it's probably a little more fun and uplifting. What yeah. are we going to be talking about? We are talking about the references to the doors or to anything doors related in The Simpsons and The Simpsons, yeah. uh, you know, big one of the biggest cultural shows of all time. Um, Forrest, just quickly, you know, however, mm-hmm. however much, what tell tell me about your experience with The Simpsons. I know you give a you do a pretty good impression, if I do remember correctly. <laughs> that came on. Uh, geez, I'm old enough to remember the segment where it it kind of started, which was just a cartoon uh, interstitial, you could say, or a little segment that was on the Tracy Ullman show. So she had a variety show. You could still see her end card credit at, at the end with the uh, the shush, the end yeah, of the Simpsons, yeah. and uh, their, their ending little uh, musical gliss there. And that was, uh, it was very, it's just funny how to, to see it then and to see what it's become because it's like every other uh, media presentation here, every podcast. People will say, which series that's just come out should I watch? Like, well, you should watch this, but give it three or five episodes. 
because it takes a while for the show to find yeah. its footing. You know, the characters and the uh, performances have to gel, uh, especially with animation. As you see, it, it's very crude looking. Homer does not sound like himself. Uh, it's just, it's Dan Castellanata, and you know he's just starting out. And same thing with Matt Groening's animation. So it looks very crude. They're very simple, but it was a just a segment within the Tracy Ullman show. So that's when I first saw it. And then as it started developing, of course, it broke out into its own show and the first season. And now I, for a while, I haven't caught up with it. I haven't kept up with it, but they have most, all of them, I believe on Disney plus. So I yeah. went through and I think maybe I'm up to a uh, season, uh, 10 through 13 or something like that, trying to catch up with them. And it's just fun to see, because like I said, uh, uh in our Jim Morrison episode, previously is that these are like little time capsules you haven't seen it in 20 years you can go back and see it just as as it was then and it's a lot of good fun and the some of the most clever tv comedy writing i've ever come across in that uh as we're going to talk about they love to stick in little cultural references and easter eggs and little fun inside jokes that are for the uh, the people that know and if you do know then you're you're you're, you got an extra chuckle out of it one of the first, I guess, three, the the first references was, the few references I remember was Jim Morrison's yeah. Grave. Season three, episode seven, Treehouse of Horror 2. <laughs> and, and so I th- always thought that was interesting where in the intro, and I think at the end we used it, I used it as the intro of this podcast, the, the music at least, we get sh- different shots of graves. And I th- one of the funny ones, you know, right before you see Jim Morrison's grave, you see Bambi's mom's grave. An interesting fact about Jim's grave, though, is that Jim was buried in Pierre Lachey Cemetery, as everybody knows, in Paris. His grave was initially unmarked and only received an official headstone in 1981 on the 10th anniversary of his death. This was courtesy of Croatian sculptor, pardon me for butchering this name, I need Michelle Campbell on this episode. I think she did some amazing photography work of the headstone throughout the decades. And I remember her seeing it, reading her this masterful article in uh, in one of the Doors Collector magazines. But the Croatian sculptor Mladen Mikulin, maybe that's correct, who also supplied a bust of Morrison. The, depi- the depiction in Treehouse 4-2 shows the famous tombstone adorned with graffiti and with a couple of hippie types camped out beside it. Morrison's grave swiftly became a popular place of pilgrimage for fans, many of whom wished to leave their own unorthodox tributes in the form of tags, which also sp- spread to adjacent cemetery features. McEwen's bust was stolen in 1988, and in 1990, the grave underwent a renovation, during which McEwen's then heavily defaced tombstone was destroyed and replaced, and that is comes uh, via the Sprochate trail blog spot. And one of the interesting things about the, when you first see the grave, the grave had already been redone, I think, by the time they did it, but they still included yeah. the old tombstone sort of as a homage to the original tombstone that was right. destroyed and stuff. The next appearance was in The Devil Wears Nada, this was season 21, episode five, and this is around the 12 minute, one second mark of the episode, and we get a mention of the grave. Great news, Homer. I've been invited to the annual nuclear power expo in Paris, France. That's right. We're going to Fission Week. I need you to book me a room at the Ritz with a view of Jim Morrison's grave and book me dinner at that place. You know the one. The one Lenny's mom read about two years ago. And that was during the course, I think, Marge and, and uh, 
Homer were going to consummate their marriage, to put it nicely. And he gets the call, and Homer gets that call during. One of the jokes is I don't think there's a Ritz with a view of Jim Morrison's grave. And then Marge gets up in, in anger and, and swaps the do not disturb sign to go ahead and disturb, which I thought was funny. The next one, and this is actually what the podcast cover art is based off of, features Jim Morrison's grave. This is Two Courier with Love, season 27, episode 20. And this is Homer and Marge visiting Jim Morrison's grave in Paris. And they they sort of hit some of the some of the more well known sites, and you hear Marge sigh as they go by. I think they visit, and and I I might just sort of call this one on the fly, to sort of do some some tracking over the top of it, so you can hear. They pass by the Eiffel Tower. They pass by the Arc de Triomphe. They pass by Jim Morrison's grave, and they just continue. Walking down the street, and <laughs> there's a uh, pointillism art art joke there. I thought that was just a, a short little trip, a little interesting little bit, and a really good shot, and they modernized his grave in this one. Use the modern headstone, or modern for the time headstone, and that happens around the 16-minute, 21-second mark of that episode. But you've talked on Astonishing Legends, one of the first episodes I think y'all ever did, maybe the first uh, was about celebrity grave sites and Jim's, you know, it's, oh, yeah. and it's become Jim's grave has sort of become a pilgrimage spot over the years. Right. What do you think the significance in someone's final resting place holds, especially of the rich and famous? Like why do people seek these things out? Well, if, uh, unless someone's stolen their body and I just came across a podcast that, uh, that deals with the, the, the theft of Charlie Chaplin's remains, which is, it's just, you know, that's just weird, but <laughs> You know, we have this relationship with celebrities, I think. Uh, I see it uh, uh, more psychologically, subconsciously, sociologically, in that they're these people that we all know. We see them in media or a live concert or in movies, and, you know, we have this exalted view of them because they occupy this rarefied space. So, you know, like I said, they're they're only, you only know them from the movies, and then you you see them in... Uh, celebrity clips then or or magazine articles or interviews and there's that distance there's a there's a great veil even if you're at a concert even if you're on stage let's say you're in the first row and there there's a gap uh, with security and then they're on stage and they're probably 15 feet above you 10 feet above you if, even if they're that close there is still that invisible space between you and them they're celebrity and you are being a civilian and so there's a magical thing. Like I said, that's why people go to live concerts and especially like live music, not only because of the performance and the energy and that you're getting along with the crowd is that they're actually there. And that's what I'm getting at is that there is something about them being real for you and seeing them there and they're right there, but you can't touch them. You're not supposed to anyway, but at a grave site, they're also right there. Yeah. They're six feet under, but they're there. Well, whatever remains of them are there, but it's a way of getting close to them. And I, as a little side note, it's my theory of why, and just, I can't believe it, but I can kind of try to make sense of it. Why people do this. It's like at the, uh, the Van Halen concert. And this is when they got back together. So uh, they've been gone a while or disbanded. And this is a big deal. These tickets are expensive, you know, I don't know, maybe this is this geez could be 15, 20 years ago now. Back then they're probably two, three hundred dollars for uh for the first section. 
and they're doing their thing and a guy throws a quarter and hits david lee roth like in the eye or right right at his nose and yeah. you know and, he, and he's like okay that's it we're done i'm not putting up with this and and he he's totally right you don't have to put up with that and this guy yeah ruined it for everybody and you think like what an idiot like you spent a lot of money to be in the concert because not because you hate them is you're a super fan and why would you do that? Like, you wouldn't do that to a friend, like, chuck a quarter at them, hit him in the eye. And I think the reason, like I said, this guy's not thinking it through is that, oh, my God, there's David Lee Roth. He's right there. He's he's 30 feet away. And so to make that connection, you throw something and you hit him. It's like, that's me. I hit him. And it's like, yeah, you're the idiot because you just stopped down the concert. It's yeah. like. Yeah, but but I I threw something and I affected him. That's the thing. I I did an action that affected him, and there was a vis visible reaction, and you got attention where there was good or bad. That's another Simpsons. <laughs> it was Doctor Marvin Monroe yes. telling Bart figures like, "Well, you like attention whether it's good or bad," and that's what some people do. It's like it's just yeah, that wasn't very smart, but it's like you he just reacted. And so when you go to a celebrity gravesite, they're right there. You you can't really see them, but you there's a maybe a spiritual connection, but just a, a intellectual one that they're six feet away, covered in some dirt and probably a casket. Uh, but that's the spot, and anybody can go there unless it's a very private cemetery. But you know, at Hollywood Forever and some of these places in L.A., you can visit some of these gravestones. And for the more famous people, especially if there's uh, some, uh, let's say Mojo with them, it's like Marie Laveau uh, in New Orleans. And uh, I think it's the yeah. uh, French cemetery number one. Yeah. Uh, well, there's, there's several. Or, yeah. Uh, I'm talking about the. Uh, oh, you're just, uh, I see what you're saying. The, the main cemetery, the above ground cemetery, yeah, the main right, one. Right. right this, yeah. the, the main one. And, uh, you know, where people have left little rocks or put an X on her, uh, on her, her stone. Hoping, you know, because that's part of the the legend of Laura. You're hoping for a favor from her, yeah, uh, as the the voodoo queen. But you know, everybody's done that, and it's just a, it's just a weird thing. People plant their lips on Marilyn Monroe's stone and lipstick. Uh, same thing, you know, James Dean. People leave little things, so it's a long tradition of people uh, paying their respects. But you know, with Jim Morrison, it got out of hand. We're just like, yeah, you're just. In, in some way, you know, you're trying to leave your mark and your respects and Jim's not saying anything, but, uh, it's also to my view, at some point it gets disrespectful. It's out of hand and now they have to replace it because it's basically just defaced and ruined. Yeah. The next appearance was of Jim himself in season 26, episode eight called Covercraft, And this happens around the 13 minute, 32 second mark. And in this clip, there are four people laughing down on him. <laughs> Uh, three of which are John Lennon, Jimi Hendrix, and Jim Morrison. And uh, the fourth one, well, I'll just, I'll just play the clip. I want his fame and fortune so much. Why must the Lords of Rock be so cruel? <laughs> <laughs> Sammy Hagar, you're not dead. <laughs> Damn it, I told you those jalapeno poppers had too much breading. Sorry, Senor Hagar. Nah, 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 it's cool, man. I went to Rockstar Heaven, and there was this great back patio with this sweet fire pit. If you had to write wristband, which I did. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know why that Same Sammy Hagar in, in Rockstar Heaven for temporarily as he chokes on a jalapeno popper. And one of the other big, I guess, the big centers of Doors references actually comes from the movie Apocalypse Now. 
And I think mm. we'd be remiss if we didn't at least talk about that a little bit. What kind of uh, what kind of impact, if any, did that movie have on you personally? Well, I think back in the day, it's just it's an epic of you know war and the attitude of that time where it wasn't like a war movie. And I grew up on war movies, and you know my grandfather yeah. was in World War II, and certainly heard a lot of firsthand stories. But that was a different generation experiencing that. And of course, the attitudes have changed by the time you get to the Vietnam War, even some somewhat you know, during the Korean War, where I also grew up watching MASH, which was about the Korean War. Yeah. So that's uh, 1950 to 55. And then you have Vietnam in the early starts, uh, stages of the war. And people, I think, at least advisors were first starting to go over in 62 and 63. It was a real cultural moment and people didn't know how to feel. And especially the people fighting the war didn't know how to feel about it because you didn't have the good guy versus bad guy clarity that you did in World War II. So now there's questions about it. And that that was a marker of the whole uh, era. And for me, uh, seeing this giant epic, which was, again, it's more spectacle. It's just, I recently we rewatched the director's cut. Uh, or whatever the re the reissue redux, was, I think so they call yeah, it. The, yeah, the read yeah, red redu the redux, yes. and you look at it, and there's a lot of scenes that uh, you'd heard rumored about, and uh, I think in our previous one, I talked about the uh, the high school friend that yeah, we would talk about the doors. And certainly, he was much more of an expert on them, but we talked about scenes that were purportedly missing from the cut that had been shot, and then now you you can see them, and they're all stitched together, and so it does change it a little bit. It drags it out. You know, of course, intellectually, you know that it's based on... Heart of Darkness, right? <laughs> Heart of Darkness, Joseph Conrad. Yeah. And in, and there's an element of this long journey into madness. And uh, oh, you should also watch uh, the documentary, The Making Of. That's great. Okay. Uh, yeah. And, and uh, the scene behind it. But yeah, it was just... It's just a very foundational film for us growing up in that era, just of having... Monumental great films, which I don't think that you get a lot of today. You don't have films that really mark a generation. I, I can't remember the last one, <laughs> like that yeah. have happened lately. And certainly, you know, now that it's, uh, things have gone to streaming, it's not uh, an experience on a on a giant screen anymore. That's kind of special. We've lost that a little bit. It's very piecemeal, and there's just too much content. Uh, we're overwhelmed, so it's lost that amount of impact. But just the, uh, yeah, like I said, you didn't think it was, um, you know, I asked my dad because uh, he he was not in Vietnam, but he was in the service just before that in, in Korea. And it's just like, is that real? Is that really happening? He's like, no, you know, maybe that's somebody's experience and, you know, but just the wildness of it. It's like, it it may have happened, but you, it's still fantasy. I guess that's what I'm getting at. It's really fantastical to see these elements mixed in with real life warfare of, of a sort and just the brutality of it. And then the, uh, the psychedelic and spiritual journey aspect of it, which is yeah. pretty wild. So that all mixed together. I'd not seen that before. So that's why it was, it was pretty impactful for me. Were there any scenes in particular that you remember that stood out to you or scenes or any particular scene that you thought, man, this is really hits home or, you know, impacted you in some way? I, I think throughout the movie, you get you get the ones that have made it into popular culture, certainly, and we see a lot of them, and, and a lot of those have made it into The Simpsons. But just a lot of folks may not know where certain phrases come from that are still kind of banging around in popular culture, like, I love the smell of napalm in the morning. It smells like victory. You know, yes, Robert yeah. Duvall does great. 
performance and and know that it came from them so that uh and the ride of the valkyries the uh, helicopter attack scene that's early on in the movie and where people get associate that with a charge and associate that with first air cavalry Uh, you know it's like all these things that are now part of popular culture same with another Coppola film. It's like, uh, I'm going to make you an offer you, you, know, you can't refuse. Yeah. And people don't like, where did that come from? Or, you know, unless you've seen the movie, you've just kind of heard this thing bandied about and you don't know the origins or context of it. So Apocalypse Now was a, was a lot for me. So, of course, that, yeah, so that first helicopter scene where you're just kind of, there's a lot of action and uh, crazy behavior and the guy's surfing and uh, and another yeah. one that's uh, uh, that, that became a... Um, I'm trying to think it. I'm forgetting the band. Charlie Don't Surf. But that was another one where it's like, uh, you either fight or you surf. And uh, it's like, well, that's a hairy point, sir. He's like, Charlie Don't Surf. So you, uh, again, that's another one. And I think later on is just, you know, the bridge scene where it's at night and it's just chaos and psychedelic music and guitar playing and just, uh, and still fighting going on. And there's just so many of them. Yeah, I I think, uh, again, uh, and the people dying on the boat one by one and getting picked off. And, and then of course the most impactful scene being the last one with Brando and, uh, just that, that kind of amazing performance where it's just spooky and profound in a way. And, uh, again, cinematically iconic and, and that, uh, the way it was structured. And that's one of the ways I remember Marlon Brando especially uh, in his later days. Yeah. And one of the interesting things uh, about it is that Coppola actually went to school with Ray Manzarek. It was at the, there the exact same time yeah, Jim Morrison and Ray Manzarek were there, you know, a strange thing. And then whenever they were shooting this, whenever I guess it was in the edit on the editing room floor, a day that Coppola wasn't even supposed to be there. He comes in and find and sees this footage that was supposed to be thrown out. And he said, mm. wow, I really love this. Let's do this as the opening shot. And he made the connection to the end and wanted it to be in the, you know, in the film and be yeah. the song. And then whenever Electra Records sent him over the the tapes, instead of sending over the mixed master tape, they sent him over the the four track original master. Like instead of already the re, the already sort of copy of the masters, they sent the original masters that were unmixed. Yeah. So including a portion where Jim repeatedly sort of almost methodically and almost like a tribal form chance the f word like i don't know if you ever heard it but you hear it in the film and they yeah. brought that up in the mix and i think coppola just really fell in love with it and uh wow huh. and, and he used it in the film and i think and you know pretty iconic stuff right right yeah it, it's uh well that whole film is a trip i mean for uh, the making of again watch hearts of darkness i think is the name of the documentary so catch that if you're interested because the film the making of the film is just as wild in a lot of respects as what you see on the screen in the final uh, edit and a lot of it just very iconic filmmaking and and representative of the time but that scene which you where you talk about the f bomb is that that is also mentioned by Marlon Brando and he's because he's clearly gone let's say inside his head and he's recording his thoughts into a tape recorder and he talks about how ironic it is that flight crews for these bombers got in trouble for writing the F word on their plane where, you know, they turn around then and drop fire on people. So yeah, uh, it's all these things. Again, that was the irony of, of warfare and just the ridiculousness of it. And 
the, the frailty, the folly of it all. And it's like that all these questions come out in this film. But but again, it's that the Morrison song, the Doors song, the end, I think it adds a lot of it because it builds that crescendo and the cutting of that scene with the music is one of the most iconic things in, in uh, American cinema. Yeah, and that's the most used Doors song in The Simpsons, including mm. the episode Hello Gutter, Hello Fodder, season 11, episode 6, where he... He walks out of the bar and he sings it, and and you know you get yeah. him sing Homer singing the first few lines. You're like, oh, you know that's cool. And then like it cut does a jump cut, and this is like the the song is literally like a fifteen minute song or twelve minute song. Yeah, and you yeah. hit and you hear him have him singing like the the middle third of the song, and he's sort of just singing the entire. And you're like, oh, he's singing the whole thing. This ain't a bit, you know. They it's right. like that stretched out bit that it, the fact that he's singing the entire song makes it even funnier. And this happens around the fourteen minute twenty six second mark. David Mo. The greatest feat of my life is already forgotten. Jeez, Homer, I never seen you so depressed. As your life partner, I'm very worried. Save your tears, Mo. Save them in a shot glass for someone who still has a shred of hope. A shred of what? I'm sorry, I was counting the cocktail radishes. <sighs> now, where was I? Uh, two, three, three radishes. Three big radishes. This is the end. Homer's just sort of walking down the sidewalk. This is the end. My only friend, the end. Weird scenes inside the gold mine. And he has the view up, up on top to look at, on top of the observation building, and he gets ready to jump. Well, world, this is it. You know, I always thought you'd die before me. Now as I prepare my soul for an eternity of fire and poking. Yeah, less chat, more splat, pal. And, of course, he's saved and ends up going into a manhole and seeing mold people. The next use of the song is in Season 17, Episode 17, Kiss Kiss Bang Bangalore. This is around the 16-minute, 20-second mark, and this is the reference a reference to the riverboat scene in Apocalypse Now. This is the end, my only friend, the end of our So, Mr. Burns, you're saying my dad has gone insane and thinks he's a god and broken off all contact with the outside world? I told you Simpson was a poor choice, sir. You know, Smithers, I told you so has a brother. His name is Shut the Hell Up! Uh, but yeah, that that's that, that little reference there. I, I guess anytime you reference uh anytime you reference Apocalypse Now, you have to use that song. You have to use the end. You know, but everything I guess being taken into account and you know, I we having discussed talk or having, you know, mentioned all these scenes, if you had to mm-hmm. rank the scenes based on the execution of the scene and the using of the song or reference, what would be your top three? <laughs> well, yeah, well, first of all, uh Boy, a lot of these, uh, like I said, I I had watched a lot of them live, and at some point, it's been on 30 years. I, I didn't catch all of these, is what I'm saying. So I think, though, the ones that, where I first saw it, I think it's one of the ones you start off with, and that's Treehouse of Horror 2. Also because Treehouse of Horror became, you knew, like, wow, this is fun. This is, this is a, I hope they keep this tradition up. These are a lot of fun. And I did notice, again, a season three, episode seven, 
in your notes here where you see the the uh, headstone and you just notice it like it okay that's a that's an inside little easter egg joke there uh and that that continued on where you'd see funny names and different things on the headstones in the opening and so that's where you know it's like okay that's a fun inside stuff and that's a lot of the writers are doing is that they you know they're putting in jokes that they're familiar with that are cultural touchstones and and points that people would uh in the know if you're paying attention you will get the joke it's a little extra another one that you have a note on <laughs> that was just a little later i thought it was a much later season but season four uh called selma's choice episode 13 where uh, her and Bart are at Disney-esque theme park, which they don't want to get sued for, but they're in the small world, and uh, Bart tempts her to drink the uh, the boat tram water, <laughs> which she does, and she starts tripping out. Yeah, and then she exclaims, "I am the Lizard Queen!" And uh, they have to take her to uh, the uh, infirmary there. And this particular clip took place at the eighteen minute twenty one second mark. Hey, Lisa, I dare you to drink the water. I'm not sure that is water. Chicken. Bart, be quiet. Lisa, drink the water. this one swimming naked in the fermentarium. I am the Lizard Queen! Give her this, and this, and then these. Oh, thank you, Doctor. No, I'm not a doctor. And so, uh, in any case, that that also, uh, there's another indirect reference, but that is, uh, again, referencing Jim Morrison and his exclamation of the Lizard King. And then, of course, you've seen uh, Almost Famous, I think, where it's a, it's a scene that was inspired, I think, where he says, oh, I'm a golden god at the uh, at the party and then jumps off the roof into the pool, uh, whatever that was. But like, that's a, that's a call to uh, a Jim Morrison type of thing. But, you know, again, this, these are all very smart writers linking back to things that are, you know, under the mainstream that they know a certain amount of people are going to get. So that one, uh, I la- had a big laugh at out loud just because, uh, yeah, I, I understood the reference. Oh, the other one maybe is the red hot chili peppers and, uh, where they're asked not to, well, they're asked to change the lyrics to the song by Krusty. And, uh, it is, does harken back to the doors being on the Ed Sullivan show. In season four, episodes 22's Krusty gets canceled. This is around the 17-minute, 14-second mark. Now, boys, uh, the network has a problem with some of your lyrics. Would you mind changing them for the show? Forget you, clown. Hey, our lyrics are like our children, man. No way. Well, okay. But here where you say, what I got, you gotta get and put it in you. How about just, what I'd like is I'd like to hug and kiss you. Wow. That's much better. Everyone can enjoy that. And then as you see in the movie, they make an extra emphasis of the replaced word, but, but come on, you know, that, that I understand. It's like, no, no, man, don't, uh, don't rain on our parade. You know, we're, we're cutting edge. We got to do this at the same time. Like I can see the nervousness. It's like, yeah, we don't really want to lean into, uh, 
what the kids were doing back then at that day and the wholesome, um, you know, American audience of the Ed Sullivan show. So there you go. That's another instance of uh, the writers making an inference to uh, something bigger that they uh, they know the in the know people are going to get. Yeah. And so my three, there's a lot of great ones in yours and I could just pick the ones, but I guess going off the ones uh, that we haven't talked about, I guess I'm not picking any of the three because I think the Apocalypse Now references are great. The one yep. where I think there's one where they're trying to convince Lisa to smoke and she and <laughs> season 19, episode 15, smoke on the daughter. She's smoking. I think she's trying to be ballerina. And then Bart right. sort of they start playing the end again. And as she smoke and takes that first hit after they convince her to. And he just sort of sticks his head up out of going just sort of with like a like a no way look on his face, which is yeah. hilarious again. Um, <laughs> and he's got the uh, the the camouflage face paint that smear sort of. Green, brown, black face paint. And this is at the 16 minute, 19 second mark. Hey, Lisa, come on over. I can't. I promised I wouldn't. If you don't breathe it, that smoke might go into a baby. Oh, well, since you cared enough to apply peer pressure. <laughs> awesome. You know much better. Perfect, yeah. <laughs> Hello. She what? Oh my god! Well, I'm gonna settle this once and for all. Meet me at the place we discussed. Who was that? Wrong number. <laughs> that was a good one, I, and I really like the way they use music too. They used yeah, uh, yeah. they used Strange Days in take on the Polar Express, and and oh, yeah. and so they get there and this and they said, well, how do you how does this train run? And he's like, on oh, marijuana, and he's like shoveling this marijuana <laughs> in it, and it, and the the chain yeah. the train engine like takes a big and then blows it out, and then it's right. it goes in the strange days thing where it starts tripping out, and the train goes around the top of a Christmas tree, yeah, and then it's coloring and all the <laughs> there's acid and pills dropping into these nutcracker mouths, and it's uh this is season twenty two episode eight the fight before Christmas. And this takes place at the two minute thirty two second mark. <gasps> We're flying. Yep, she'll fly all right. You just gotta keep her happy. That was good. And then on break on through, uh, they had one where Krusty the Crown is like Jim Morrison and he's dressed as Jim Morrison almost oh, looks like funny. from the Hollywood Bowl show where he's got the pants, right. the conch belt and the little vest. But, uh, right. Season four, episode 15. I love Lisa at the 14 minute, 16 second mark. Now here's a clip from 1973. Try to run, try to hide, break on through, through the other side. Yeah. Right. So those are uh, all the Doors references in the Simpsons. Uh, pretty mm-hmm. exhaustive. You know, not too many, but I think a pretty interesting list. Uh, so before yeah. we head out, is there anything else you had for us or before we head yeah, out? Yeah, one, one uh, couple of questions, but one is, uh, do you know of any other uh, musical group or musician or, uh, yeah, I guess, band that's been mentioned as much in the Simpsons overall? 
as far as overall, I don't yeah. know. So I'm not just frequency. Yeah, I just don't, as, because as this far is as, a, there's a lot of mentions. As far as frequency, <laughs> I, there's a there's a lot of '60s episodes. I feel like Hendrix probably right. is up there, uh, yeah. especially at the time period, because it seems like it goes in 30 year increments. Where in the right. recent, so possibly Hendrix or somebody like that. And there's a lot of '60s episodes, but I'm not I'm not too familiar. I'm more. I haven't watched all the Simpsons by any means. So no, no, me I'm neither. still in on just, Yeah. That's, there's yeah. a lot to get through, but, uh, but they're fun. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I don't, I'm not hundred percent sure, but I'm mostly into the, like, I love the Treehouse of hordes. I've seen every single one of them, but I'm still oh, yeah. working my way through all the episodes right now. But, uh, yeah, me, me too. Uh, again, they're, they're a great treat. And the great thing about this is that, uh, there's a lot of nostalgia embedded in them. And, uh, since the show has been going on for, 30 years now and plus that anybody from the last few generations is going to recognize something. And like I said, you know, the, I think the writers are more probably of my age. And so it's, it's a lot of things that we, we grew up on that uh, are in there, but not that you have to know about those things to enjoy it. It's just, like I said, you'll, you'll enjoy the, 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 the top layer of comedy. And then there's just yeah. surface, a sub layer of references. And that's why people love that show so much is that, there are callbacks and references to things and it just, it just makes it more enjoyable. Well, the second question I had for you, and this is probably now two years ago, I think when you brought this up or brought it to my attention and it, it did start to make the rounds of social media a little bit, but there is a photo uh, that I want you to, if you know any uh, more about this to explain it, but apparently taken uh, by a friend of Morrison's after his passing at his gravestone. And it looks like there is an image of Morrison with that famous bare chested arm spread out in the Christ-like pose of him possibly at the, at the gravesite. Yeah. And I think it was taken in 1997. Okay. Um, and I, and as far as I know, there's never really been a, an explanation uh, it was it hasn't been debunked officially. Yeah, no. And the guy who took it didn't notice it until 2002. He had he had taken the photo mm. for had it sitting around, and apparently it was uh, it yeah. was you know out, and he was looking at it, and one of the, he showed it to a researcher, and the researcher mm-hmm. said that the Im- image itself is unexplainable. Okay. Uh, the guy's name was Meisner, I think, and he says that uh. he says that now he even regrets going because he's been plagued by eerie events ever since he's went. Apparently, oh, uh, really? he said, and of course, maybe who knows how this how this all works out. But he says that his marriage broke down and close friends died of drug overdose, and now he's haunted by people who approach him to say that Morrison's ghost is haunting them. At first, it was sort of an interesting to see how many people felt a great spiritual bond with Jim, the photo, right? But now the whole vibe seems negative. Jeez. So. Uh, yeah, yeah. So I, I I don't think it's ever been debunked, but that's right. You know, still still, still sort of tra- strange things around it. Yeah, that's strange. Uh, it's really nothing uh, I have not heard of about uh, other people's experiences, but I did not know about the photographer and people around him having negative experiences that uh, may or may not be linked to this. But it's it's really weird. And and again, not to say that uh, because I I firmly personally believe like we don't really know who or what is causing this if it is negative and it can be attributable to to this but uh i'd like to think it wasn't jim just yeah. being a, a jerk and and stirring the pot and and kind of mucking things up for people it's just odd so you you don't know i mean look you're in a graveyard there's probably a lot of spirits yes. floating around it's just it's just weird is it something impersonating jim morrison that's another thing to consider but yeah i would think you know uh your impression of him uh at least for mine is that uh he was a decent guy in life 
Yeah, when he's and, drunk, though, probably don't, you know, not as yeah, enjoyable, but... No, right, right, as a, as a lot of people, especially... Uh, <laughs> yes, yeah. Troubled, ...troubled artists and celebrities. But I would like to think that, uh, yeah, just, uh, he's not just messing with this guy, but, but it's an odd image. And, uh, if you can find it, I mean, maybe if you have a link in your notes. Yeah, I'll, I'll post it. it. It's, uh, it is that, it's that, uh, what's the album cover? It's, it, well, it was from the best of the doors. I think it was the 85. Yeah. Yeah. 85 album. Um, but it's from the long, the Joel Brodsky young line shoot. He's got the arms outstretched in that T like pose, the Christ like pose. I guess you want to call it that. Right. Right. But yeah. yeah, the golden, the golden God, the lizard King pose. Yes. Um, uh, but it, it is, it, it, I mean, I don't know when you see it, it's uh it could be pareidolia where your, your mind's making it up. There's something yeah. r- wrong. I would say anomalous with the image because it shouldn't be a reflection. It's not the pepper's no, yeah. ghost thing where you're seeing it through glass. It's uh, it's just, it's strange. And you do wonder about, uh, yeah. So, but to your earlier point about celebrities uh celebrity deaths and gravestones and and why it's so interesting to people is that uh you're hoping to make some kind of connection i just don't know if it's that kind of connection yeah so and that concludes i think of this the shorter episode talking about the simpsons but i think something that's that needs to be covered so again yeah. forcing find we'll have all the show show notes astonishinglegends.com okay. has everything we can find them on yeah. twitter everywhere you find them a just, just great stuff all around, especially if you're interested in paranormal or even historical anomalies and stuff that that's really interesting. Some of the other yeah, things yeah, they have strange, that's not necessarily strange history, strange events, strange days, uh, yeah, strange days, <laughs> and uh, some you know a lot of it's paranormal. But as I tell people, uh, uh, go through and find a title that jumps out at you, and, and uh, if you want to check it out, uh, start there because there's a lot of them and a lot of hours of blabbing by us, but Oh, great uh, stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's uh well thank you so much Bradley. It's always a pleasure and a lot of fun just to uh, chit-chat with you about these fascinating topics and yeah. uh likewise, likewise. I, yeah. You've you know, you you've introduced me to a lot of stuff I did not know and and again, I was not a certainly a Morrison expert by any means, just a, a you know, just a fan, enjoyed his music, enjoyed the doors. Uh it was a bit of uh it was part of uh my growing up, but it's this inside stuff that really paints the picture for you. Yeah. So, well, thank you for coming on. Do you have uh, any impressions of uh, any uh, Simpsons characters you want to share before you go? <laughs> uh, did, I could do a, I could do a little bit of, uh, sorry, let me do that. I could do a little bit of a Homer. Well, I went to film school at UCLA by the time Raymond Zarek and Jim Morrison of the Doors did. That's not yeah. great. Hold on. No, no. <laughs> let me do it again. No, no, let me do it again. Oh, okay. hold on. I, I'll just do it. I'll just do it really simple. They like donuts. See, there you go. There you go. Oh, there you go. Well, that was. Uh, what about the? No, my favorite uh, one you do on Astonishing Legends is the comic shop owner. The comic shop owner. That is. Oh, the- of course. Uh, uh, yes. Well, here's what's uh, what I've noticed about doing uh, uh, impressions is that if you have the same pipes, the vocal cords as, as the person doing uh, the voices, for some reason, Mike Judge and I, I, I think, are similar. And doing the the comic book store owner guy is uh, for some reason that's that's in my ballpark. So it'd be something like uh, worst episode ever. <laughs> Hutch yes. coming through. I said one autograph at a time, and then of course he's yeah uh, that's what, where he's barging through, and then uh, he's got a stack of uh, uh <laughs> he's got a stack of photos that he wants autographed. Uh, but yeah, I could do, uh, but I remember one time I did briefly get to see, uh, Dan Castellanata cause I worked at a voiceover place that did the recording and he was in for something else. 
Uh, and he, uh, if you ever meet him, folks, do not ask him like a lot of celebrities do not ask him <laughs> to do the voice. Yes. Uh, because you imagine like it's all day long, every day for 35 years of his life. So he doesn't want to do it, but uh, for special occasions, I think one of the producers, uh, for the radio ad that he was coming in to do as another voice, it was her birthday. So he, uh, he made an exception. So I was, I, I was kind of standing off to the side and it's like, my name is Homer and I like donuts. But it's just he's he, he did that for her. Yeah. But uh he uh but that was it. She goes, Oh thank thank you so much. And I think like that's all you get. I'm not gonna do your answering machine. <laughs> I'm not going to, you know, back then that was a thing, your voicemail. Oh uh, yeah, oh yeah. Message out. Uh and and that was it. But the other one was because <laughs> most about the Simpsons are these funny exchanges that were jokes that I liked and and me and uh, certain friends. One that I always think of was just Kurt Van Houten, Millhouse's dad. Yes. And he's separate. He gets kicked out of the house by his wife. So he is living on his own. But I think he has Millhouse's furniture. I'm not sure why. <laughs> he's at the bachelor apartment uh, complex. But it's all guys uh, who've been kicked out of their homes by their wives. And Homer comes to visit. And it's and uh, he's trying to pump it up and, and act cool. Kurt is he's like, I sleep in a race car. Do you? And Homer <laughs> says, I sleep in a big bed with my wife. And he goes, oh, you know, so it's just yes. uh, Homer being uh, clueless. Yeah. Anyway, it's just, it's a lot of great fun. I don't, uh, I don't <laughs> claim to do uh, those uh, often or well, but that's it. And uh, sometimes just for myself, I'll do the Apu, but I'm not, uh, I won't do it. No, anyway. that's good. No. Okay. Thank you for that. Yeah. Well, thank you again for us for coming on and uh, man, maybe we'll have you on another day. I don't know. We'll, we'll find something right. to get you on something to talk about yeah, film sure. or something. All right. Good luck plowing ahead. And uh, yeah, if you uh, if you have anything odd, oddly coincidental happen to you regarding the doors or any of this, uh, please let us all know. Yeah. Send it to uh, op- opening the doors pod at gmail.com. Send the email. Yeah. Sounds great. Well, thank you for us. Thank you again to Forrest Burgess. You can find Astonishing Legends wherever you get podcasts and you can follow Forrest on Twitter at Forrest underscore Burgess. You can find this podcast on Twitter at the doors pod and on Facebook by searching for Opening the Doors. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions for guests, you can send an email to openingthedoorspod at gmail.com. I want to give a special thanks to podcast consultant Jim Cherry, who authored The Doors Examined and The Last Stage. Music for this podcast was done by Christian Cornejo of the Jimbo Tribute Band from South America. I hope to meet you back here in two weeks, but until then, keep the doors open and the music loud. Whoa!